0: Hi, everybody. I want to welcome you to the second episode of the FPCA podcast. I want to thank everybody that's uh, here with us either live um, in person for the meeting or join us for the podcast. Today we have Con Hargis, the Senior Associate AD of Marketing and Ticket Services from NC State. Join us as a guest speaker. Thank you very much for joining us today, Mr. Hargis. It's my
1: pleasure. Glad to be here and uh, to chat with everyone.
0: So why don't you go over a bit of your background in college athletics, what you've done to work up to NC State, what your position is at NC State, and your journey that you've gone through so far.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I've been very fortunate. I've worked at a couple of great institutions in my career, going into my 18th year in college athletics now. And the, the journey and the career started at NC State. Uh, I was fortunate enough to go to grad school at NC State, and when I made that decision, I I knew I wanted to go into college athletics, that was my desire and and where I was interested in pursuing a career. So I I came up to NC State from Wingate University, um, and I started grad school, I started working in the athletic department as a ticket office intern, so uh, that was a great opportunity for everyone out there. You know, the world of ticketing and external relations in general it gives you a great um, exposure and experience to a lot of different aspects of college athletics in our world in general of, of, uh, of sports and higher ed. So I started my career at NC State, uh, finished off grad school, was fortunate enough in that same time was hired on full-time into a full-time role within the ticket office uh, here at NC State. And uh, I stayed here until about 2009, the spring of 2009, an opportunity arose, and I was fortunate to head down to USF in Tampa. Uh, and I took over as assistant athletics director uh, for ticket operations down at USF. Um, and that was an unbelievable experience. I was really excited for that. It, it was a polar opposite market and experience from NC State. And I was really excited for that. And I really wanted to. To learn and just see a different aspect of college athletics. Um, NC State in in this area up in Raleigh is a a diehard college town to say the least, but we're also in the city, but college athletics is the cream of the crop here. You go to Tampa, and then when I was my time at USF, we were competing against everything and anything. You had the lightning, you had the rays, uh, you had the sun, you had the beach, you had pools, um, you had Florida State, Florida, Miami, you name it. So It was such a different opportunity an awesome one, a really exciting one. I enjoyed my time there. I spent about six years there, ultimately leaving as associate athletic director, overseeing sales and operations. But that was an unbelievable experience. Really, it taught me the sales and the revenue side. The time here at NC State, and this is early 2000s, you know, the college athletics world was very reactionary. People came to us, donors came to us. My first year here at NC State, we, we sold out our season tickets. We oversold it. We had to refund people. We were turning people away. It was just a different landscape fast forward you get the usf and we were scraping right you, you have to fight for every piece of branding market awareness sale dollar. so it was an unbelievable experience and then in 2014 i was very fortunate uh, nc state had reached out to me uh, the administration at the time dr w Yow and company uh asked if i'd be interested in coming back up to nc state and, and taking over as associate athletic director uh for ticket sales and operations which uh Jumped at that opportunity, had the um, good fortune to come back here, return to NC State, and and take everything I learned down at USF, different market, our different strategies, our different approaches, now get to apply that to NC State. So I've been back up here at NC State going into, uh, this will be my seventh year coming up this fall. um, And I currently hold the the role of Senior Associate Athletic Director, Joey, introduced and mentioned uh, overseeing now marketing. Ticket services, as well as our digital strategy unit and a lot of our analytics efforts So, really what we're trying to dive into nowadays is how, you know, just become smarter and more efficient with our strategies and with our time, you know, we have a limited amount of time, limited amount of resources. Especially coming out of COVID, we all know we have to be much more efficient and strategic. So, we're launching a, a brand new digital strategy unit this upcoming year. We're getting that off the ground. We have a couple of positions posted now that we're hiring for, getting that team up and running that's really going to analyze and tackle all of our advertising campaigns, email campaigns, CRM. How can we generate money online in the digital universe that we are? And then we do a lot of work with, with SaaS as well on the analytics side. So, we're, we're investing in a lot of resources, time, energy. Into, into the analytics space. We want to be smarter with how we're doing things here. We know there's a there's a science behind the art is how we talk about it here, right? The art of selling, the art of engaging, the art of marketing. But behind that, you can put a science. You, you can put a formula to try to make those efforts a little bit more direct and a little bit more efficient. So really exciting times here. And, and that's what's you know kind of taken up a lot of my times and days nowadays, but uh, it, it's an exciting journey. It's an awesome journey. Love, uh, love the path that I'm on and uh, it's been a fun ride and hopefully many more years
0: still to come with it. So you explained a little bit of the differences between working uh, in the market, such as Tampa at USF and at NC State at Raleigh. So you've seen a lot in your time at College Athletics. So what would you say is your favorite thing overall about working at College Athletics? Like what what's your driving force that keeps you going and um, loving what you do?
1: Yeah, so, you know, it's interesting. So starting out in the journey, it's a journey, right? Like our careers, are, it's an evolution. You don't have to have every answer right away. The, the, the longer you go in this industry, and quite frankly, I think the, the more time you spend learning and educating yourself and growing your career, you, you tend to start to see the bigger picture, right? We, we all start out in our careers short-sighted. Hey, we got to survive today. We got to survive the next week. Let's plan for the next month. But as you progress and as we grow as professionals and as adults, you start to see the bigger picture and the bigger vision. So for me, the driving force, it's the educational side of what we get to do. And I say that specifically, it's what we get to do. And that's a that's kind of a phrase that Boo Corgan, our athletic director here at NC State now talks about all the time. We get to do you know, what our roles, our jobs, our careers, we get to do it. And it's fun. Um, so for me, it's the generational impact that we can have. And provide our student athletes and ultimately their families. And it really is amazing. So for me, as my career has evolved, it's it's crystallized and that's become my driving force. You know, I, myself, I'm a first-generation college student. I understand the power of education, right? It changed my trajectory. It's provided me opportunities. And it's because I figured out a way. I said, okay, I'm going to go to college, right? That's what you do. And then I did college and I figured out opportunities and I started my career and one thing's led to another and I'm here. You fast forward, and for me, that's what we get to do with college athletics. We can provide a medium. We can provide the avenue for student athletes to change their, you know, the trajectory for their life, potentially their family's life, and generational impacts. You know, I love education. I believe it's you know the ultimate tool we can all put in our, put in our toolbox. Right? We always have to be learning. We always have to figure out how we can get better, how we can become smarter, not just as professionals but as adults, as people, as individuals. So the power of education, I, I think, is endless. So in college athletics, you know, specifically in my career, we can take college athletics and apply that to the higher ed system. And that's the pathway, right? So that's my driving force. That's what leads me is we have that ability to ultimately change people's lives and give them an opportunity to better themselves. And then hopefully, again, you make the next generation, right, different. So now, you know, when, when our student athletes grow up and they have families, you know, okay, if you have mom or dad, she went to college, he went to college, that's what you do, right? Here's the trajectory. This is what you do now. So that to me is the, is the driving force. We, we have the opportunity to help um, young adults just grow, grow professionally, you know, grow personally, grow as athletes. It's, a, it's exciting. So if you stay focused on that, right, there's a lot of grind, there's a lot of headaches at times. But for me, if I stay focused on the big picture of why we get to do what we do, and, and that's my driving why yeah that's what motivates me that's what keeps
0: me going that's great it's all about the student athlete and it's a very integral part in their life and improving it and in any way you possibly can now my next question a lot of the times working in sports is is viewed as a glamorous job you get to you know you have fun and you're you're working in um what a lot of people's favorite thing in the world but uh, a lot of people don't see the headaches the hardships the the struggle of what it really is like working in in sports, and specifically card athletics, can you explain a little bit about, on the flip side, some of the um, the most challenging parts about working in card athletics?
1: Yeah, you know it's interesting. So every job, every career, every profession, right? Like there's challenges. It's just that simple. No, no grass is always greener. Right? The grass is always greener. It's not right. So every every career, every industry, everything we do, um, you know, no matter what you do, is going to have its challenges. Um, I think this last year is a great example, right, of the challenges that we face in college athletics. When you think about right COVID-19, let's just take the really obvious one. Nobody had a blueprint in any profession, in any industry, specifically college athletics, higher education. No one had a blueprint to that. So, okay, great. Let's figure out, let's solve literally a global pandemic. And how do we survive? How do we stay engaged with our fans? How do we keep our student athletes safe? What do you do with international students? right like they're coming and they're going are they not coming because they're stuck in their countries right so like there's that challenge then fast forward and we have nil which personally i think is a great opportunity right like i'm a huge fan of nil i think it's a great chance for student athletes to capitalize on their brand much like any other student whatever so let's throw that into the mix then we also have the overall social justice movement right and just like we want our student athletes to have voices we want them to have opinions we don't need to be just be an athlete you know like that cliche awful, like, no, like we're teaching them to be adults. We're teaching them to mature and to grow. So anyways, let's just, so in this last year, let's throw all that into a pot and say, okay, let's figure this all out. Right. It's incredible. So there, those are the things that keep you up at night. We talk about it all the time here. And as you say, to keeping your knees bent, right? Like that became like almost that cliche thing. We, we stopped saying pivot because God pivot was overused, but keep your knees bent, be ready for anything. And I think that's, that to me is, is the challenge, right? Like this last year was a prime example of of the evolving landscape that is college athletics. And if you're trying to be prepared for everything, you just, you can't, there's not a blueprint for every avenue, but we can try to be prepared. Um, and you can try to have plans, right. And you can understand as much as you can, you can, I, I talk about it all the time with our staff, control what we can control, be ready for what we can, Because that way, when the curveballs comes, okay, we have, you know, 90% of our our plan in place, we're ready for it, we're prepared for it. So now we can spend some time on this curveball that just popped up. So I think the challenges specifically in college athletics is we don't know where college athletics is heading, right? This last year is a great example of just, you know, the wildness that it's become this melting pot of all these bubbling up topics and controversies and global pandemics But the flip side, okay, I'm going to be, try to be positive. Let's put the positive spin on it. And I I think specifically for for this, you know, group and and the crowd that we're talking with today and this organization, these new challenges, these new areas where there are yet to be fully determined, say, experts, right? Every challenge provides an opportunity. Every challenge, every problem provides an opportunity for a solution. You know, and, and that's something that You know, I had the great fortune of working for Debbie Yao, and she'd always say, you know, part of our profession is being able to solve problems, right? Like our career path to a certain degree is judged on can you solve problems and at what level can you continue to solve those problems? So the positive spin on all this is as these curveballs keep coming up, as NIL continues to grow and become present in our landscape and everything else. It's going to provide opportunities for a new wave of professionals, right, and a new skill set to be present. So I think that's a really key thing. Like, there's always going to be challenges. There's always going to be curveballs. But at the end of the day, if you see those as opportunities, especially as young professionals, to say, well, man, I got some time. I'm going to, you know, study the heck out of MIL. Or what are all these other schools doing with COVID? How are they engaging their fans? How are they still generating dollars? How are they fundraising? If you focus on the opportunity that the problems present, there might be that silver lining. So that's my positive spin on it. Like there's definitely challenges. We're going to have an ever-changing landscape that is college athletics, but especially as young professionals and aspiring professionals, there's always going to be an opportunity to find a pathway and you know, move forward. And another great example of that, I mean, look at the analytics space, the business intelligence space. Rewind 10 years ago barely scratching the surface. You know, that it, it wasn't the thing. College athletics were always kind of a step behind, unfortunately. A lot of the other industries are like, oh yeah, we've been doing that for years. Right. But now if if you're a if you're a data analytics person, there's a huge space for that, especially in sports, especially in higher athletics. Like I'm a firm believer, like I love the moneyball concept, right? The Billy Bean approach. Like that is what I I try to pride ourselves on of we don't always have to work harder. It's working smarter, right? You're, you're buying hits, not wins, right? Get on base. That's another example of like, that's an emerging field. That's an emerging profession that there's gonna be a gap the more and more, you know, that that gains momentum and college athletic departments understand, wow, we have to be more efficient, right? Like again, it goes back to, we have a limited number of resources, limited number of days in the week, limited time. How do we become more strategic? Like that's an emerging profession, that, that's a problem that departments are going to have to solve. So as a young professional or as a sparring professional, Hey, great. Let me figure out some stuff in analytics. Let me do some side courses. Let me do some certifications. Let me understand it. And so it's just, there's always going to be challenges. There's always going to be you know circumstances that we have to overcome, but man, it also leads to a whole bunch of opportunities and pathways for, for growth and advancement.
0: I love that mantra that you mentioned, keep your knees bent. You never know what's around the corner. Things are changing constantly now, especially now in college athletics, between NIL, the possible expansion of the playoffs. I'm not going to bring up realignment. I'm not going to bring that up, but um, you always got to be ready for what's coming next. And speaking of NIL, I think I just saw recently that front office sports is offering a training or in a certification in um, NIL. So that's off topic, but something to look into for sure. So my next question, everyone here listening or joining us here today, just starting their journey in college athletics and trying to both enter the field and rise in the field. So what trait do you believe is most important to possess to succeed in college athletics and what, what trait do you think has helped you the most get to where you are today?
1: Absolutely. So it, it, uh, this is going to touch back on a little bit of what you know I was just talking about and, and the pops at hand, but to me, the most important thing, especially with young professionals and you know, people who are starting out in their career and then it'll fast forward through your entire group. It's the desire to learn, right? Like we have to constantly want to learn and get better professionally, personally, you know, everything about what we do is is just understanding that again, it goes back to things are gonna continue to evolve. Things will continue to change. So if you have that mindset, right, that we want to learn, learn from your peers, learn from the industry, study trends, study things outside of our market, right? Outside of our profession, the desire to learn to me is the most, it's it's the most important attribute. Because if you if if I have somebody on staff or somebody that we're working with and they want to learn, right, then they have a passion, right? They they want to get better. And my my hope, my plan, the way I approach things is I I tell people this all the time, so I'm fortunate to work with some unbelievably talented individuals throughout my entire career. Here's my approach. I'm going to invest in you. I'm going to give you everything I got, right? I'm going to give you everything I got. I will help you personally, professionally, whatever you want to do. In return, I expect you to invest back, right? Like Invest back in our goals. Invest back in our strategic plan. Where's our department going? Where's our unit going? What are we trying to accomplish? So I'm going to give you everything I got, but in return, I want you to give that back. So to me, that that goes back into that passion and then that desire to learn. If you're willing to learn and you want to get better and you're willing to just say, hey, I'll roll up my sleeves. What what needs to get done? What else can I do? How can I figure this out? How can I help? That's going to pay forward, right? Because if you have that mindset as you grow professionally, hopefully that sticks with you. And then we've created just an educational environment, a culture of learning, helping, teaching, guiding, growing. So when that process becomes the two-way street, man, that's when you're clicking, right? Like that's when everyone's working, firing on all cylinders. So I think the desire to learn, knowing that you're not better than any job, you can, you'll do whatever, right? You'll volunteer. And I'm not saying you work all hours of the day or whatever, but you know, just, hey, does anybody need help with anything? I'm willing to help out. You know, like, hey, can you teach me about that? This came up on our call. I wasn't aware of it. Can we spend some time? Just learn to get better. Learn to, to grow yourself. File it away. You may not need it right away, Study the business, study our profession, learn leadership approaches, learn from leadership styles. So if you do that, and and that's to me is what I look for. I want somebody who wants to learn. I want somebody who wants to get better. And I want somebody, you know, on staff who's going to turn around and give that back right? And I I want that mentoring mindset. I want that that ability for people to know that they're coming into an environment that just invests. We're investing in each other. So very long-winded answer, but it's that underlying foundational, just that trait, right? the characteristic. Jobs are jobs, skills are skills, but you can always teach somebody a skill, right? Like you can teach somebody a technical aspect of a job. If they have the right approach, if they have the right mindset, that's hard to change in some people, right? If some people like, Some people don't want to do that. Right. It's the meat people, the people who are only looking out for just that. Like that's hard to change. Not saying it can't change. But so anyways, that that to me, the the passion to learn, the passion to teach, to, to create that educational environment within the workplace, within the office, within a career. That's huge. That just creates that environment. And for me, that's when that's when everyone gets better, because collectively
0: you move the whole shit forward. Of course, and going off of what you said, I'm sure you can agree with this, that a common trap that um, sometimes many people fall into is thinking that they know it all. They know everything there is to know, uh, especially in a field like this, where it's constantly evolving. You can constantly learn, constantly be a sponge and taking everything around you. So the last question I have, uh, and then we'll go into Q&A afterwards, uh, regarding your goal. To succeed, no matter what you're doing, you always need a goal. You always need a standard of what you're what you're aiming for. So, in the athletic department, what would you define as success um, for the athletic department as a whole?
1: Yeah. So, so as an athletic department as a whole, it 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 depends, and I guess the the overarching theme would be what's your strategic plan, right? Within a strategic plan, whatever the measurables are, what are the goals, the objectives, and the tasks that are going to get you there. So. It's going to depend. It's a very broad ranging, you know, question of sorts, but, you know, you want to goals, right, to compete, to be successful, to win championships. So that's a goal. So how do you get there? You got to provide the right resources for your teams. So it doesn't all happen at once. So you right. You look at your your five year plan, whatever it is. But what are your benchmarks along the way? What are your objectives to reach those goals and the tasks to get there? Roughly speaking, everything's a measurable right? Like sales is very black and white. Like Our goal for revenue is we want to produce X millions of dollars. You either did it or you didn't do it. Very black and white. Same thing with fundraising. Hey, we want to cultivate X amount of donors. We want to grow by X percent. We want to create X amount of dollars in our annual fund. Again, very black and white. It either happens or it doesn't happen. But those goals, right. Then result in producing resources. Those resources then go to providing, you know, equipment, training, additional you know trainers nutritionists you know um sports med equipment that then benefit the student athletes the student athletes right then gives them a better opportunity to compete and succeed on the field so chicken egg full circle hopefully then they win can't, you know winning's not a strategy you can't bake on it that's not hope but if teams are winning great now there's a better environment fans are happy donors are happy alumni are happy and it comes full circle so it, it's a it's a broad question, but I think ultimately it's, as a department, what do you define as your strategic plan? I mean, you know, what are your goals? What are your objectives that you're trying to achieve? And then what's your path to get there? Again, not everything can be done overnight. There's measurables. There's, there's the steps. There's the incremental steps. You know, hey, this goal might take three years, four years, but here's our measurables along the way so that we can track that we're getting there. Again, in the world of external and with my background in revenue generation and sales and, and fundraising, like that's very black and white. We are hit our goals or we don't hit our goals. Everyone knows that, right? Like we sell X amount of tickets, we don't sell X amount of tickets. We renew at X rate, we don't renew at X rate. Like it's very black and white. That's a measurable goal. The other one's a little bit more broad-based and subjective, but you ultimately want to win championships. You want to compete. You want to put your student athletes in the best possible position. And to do that, you got to provide the resources and so forth. So it's all you know, dependent on the situation in your department, but anything we do can have a measurable success and we can track how we're doing. And if you're tracking, then you have people who are accountable and so forth and so on. and You know your progress. So I think that's the key, right? Taking a step back. The key with any goal, with any strategy, can you have measurable benchmarks and success to know that you're making progress or you're not making progress?
0: Course. And, like you said, it's important to have measurable short short term goals and long term goals. And with those long term goals, maybe be a little patient because, like you said, it will not happen overnight. You need to stay on the track. So, with that being said, I'm going to open the floor to any questions that anybody here may have. Hi, Colin. Um, thank you so much for coming to speak with us tonight. Um, I'm Erin Thompson. And my question for you is I missed everything that has gone on in the past year, and with everything changing rapidly all the time, what do you do to make sure that your, that your mental is still good, that you're not, you know, burnt out, that you can still give a hundred percent to college athletics?
1: Great question, Aaron. I appreciate you asking that. You know, coincidentally enough, I was talking with a staff member about that today, right? Mental wellness, mental health, uh, well-being and personal well-being. If you can't take care of yourself, you can't take care of others. right? Like we, we can't be, Firing on all cylinders if you don't find me time. So it's interesting. So for me personally, this is a lifestyle, right? Like, and I don't say this in a negative way. Like I'm not 18 hours a day, workaholic, you know, all that type of stuff. Like, yes, there's time, whatever. I, I personally don't believe in like the work-life balance, right? Like that to me isn't isn't part of what we do. College athletics, our career, my career, my family, you know, we're all part of it. It's it's a lifestyle that we embrace. Um, and and it's a positive, I say it in a positive, it's just, it's a lifestyle, but to your question, in order to be successful with that lifestyle, you have to keep your priorities, right, we have to stay focused on keeping ourselves healthy, so at the the end of the day, I think you have to figure out what are your stress relievers, right, and what keeps you balanced, so one is focusing, again, bigger picture why, why do we do what we do, right, there's always going to be the headaches, there's always going to be the challenges, there's going to be days you want to be like, my god, this cannot be happening again, right, like, Kind of Groundhog's Day, like we're all going through right now. We're like, oh, here's this COVID thing again popping up. Like, did we just talk about this last summer at the same exact time? Right. So, get you a little crazier in there. But I think you just have to know what what keeps you balanced, right? You know, and, and for me, like, my family is one of my top priorities. My wife and I, we have two young boys. And for me, it, it's coming back, right, at the end of the day, knowing, like, okay, this is family time, right? I'm going to, I have to decompress. I got to shut it off to a degree. Doesn't mean my work day's done. But when I get home, okay, family time, right? Boy time. You know, I I help out with my son's Little League team. That's a great stress reliever for me, right? Like nine, 10-year-old baseball. Like, you want to talk about the purity of sport, like kids trying to learn baseball playing Little League. Like, that gets back to the roots. So, to me, that helps ground it, right? The phone's out of my pocket for an hour and a half, two hours of baseball practice, stuff like that. Like, I think that's the key. Like, how do you relieve? Um, I do a lot of walking covid my wife and I, we walked a lot. Like I'm talking in relative growth, like 30 plus, 40 miles a week. Like we just walked, like five, six miles a day. Eight miles. Like we were just walk. It just got stress out. Clarity of the mind. Like it's things like that. So there's not a silver bullet, but I think you have to figure out what is your stress reliever? What gives you kind of that clarity to walk away? Long-term big picture. Like you got to take vacations. Like I don't believe in these people. Like, oh, I never take a vacation. I'm too, I'm too important, blah, blah. No, you're not like, you know, like any for the most part, like any good leader is going to like, no, like you need to walk away. You need to shut your brain off. Like you need to recharge your batteries. Because, again, if you don't recharge your batteries, what good are you to the organization if you fizzle out right away again? So you got to find the things that are going to be your stress reliever. I tend to tune out the news a lot. Like I'll, I'll check in a little bit. But that's something I learned a long time ago. And I can't remember which author or speaker or whatever, but it might have been John Gordon big fan of John Gordon, you know, and everything he, he just, you know, instills and writes about. But when you generally think about the news in general, like it's a lot of negative news, right? So like if you had a bad day at work or a tough day at work and you come home and you put on the six o'clock news or the seven o'clock news or you start your day and you're watching the news and it's like, there's this thing. And there's this, you know, you know, robbery and this, you know, whatever, blah, blah, Well, man, that's just going to put you in that mindset to start your day or end your day. So I tend to try to focus, you know, not on that. Right. And just decompress from there. So, you got to find the things, again, that, that provide you clarity. Yeah, you know, working out, running, talking. With, like, you got to step away. Working 18 hours a day nonstop isn't going to do it, right? Like, there's always the time that you're going to have to work full potentially an all-nighter workaround. Like, there's things that are going to happen. That, that's part of what we do. But the workaholic eventually is going to fizzle out. Like, that's not going to help the, the department. And there's always going to be something next to do. So you got to figure out what's your balance, right? Like what's your ability to walk away, shut your brain off for a day or two. Side note, tip of the, you know, I guess trick of the trade a long time ago, I learned one of the key things for me, especially during really, really busy, stressful times, I dump everything out of my brain. And I tell this to my staff all the time, literally take a pen and paper. I'm a pen and paper guy. Like, yes, I can take notes on a computer, but I'm a pen and paper guy. Write down everything you're thinking about. Write down your to-do list. Write down the things that you know have to be, let it out of your brain. So your brain can shut off. If it's on paper, your brain will literally remember. I already, I got rid of that, right? Like I don't have to remember as a brain. Now I put that on paper. It's such a silly trick, but it genuinely works. It's out of your brain. Right. So as you're, you know, Aaron, your question about like, Oh man, like there's all these things going on. We got to think about NIL. We got to think about COVID. What about this? What if this happens? What if this changes? Right. Put it down on paper. Right, write it down. Here's my punch list. These are the things I know we got to be tracking on. So that way, when I'm home at night, or if I try to sleep, or okay, great, it's done. It's out of my brain. I know that's on paper. I'm not going to forget about it. My brain knows it. So you got to find ways to clear your head. Like you have to, again, like I said, whether working out, walking, um, running, doing whatever it is, you got to find that balance to shut it off and have your you time you know, the me time, family time, whatever it is, work's always going to be there. Like I said, it's a lifestyle, you know, the coaches call, things come up, like, it's just what we do. So you got to be intentional at times about finding your time, or else you are, you're going to get burnout way too, because there's a lot, like, there's just a lot going on, especially nowadays. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome.
0: Hi, Colin. Thank you again for coming to talk to us. Uh, My question is more about the ticketing side. Obviously, a lot has happened in the past year, but a, a trend that's not just happening in college athletics, but all sports and concerts and everything is mobile ticketing. So you can talk about why NC State decided to transition, just what you've seen from the reaction from fans and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the question, Connor. So yeah, so there's a couple of different aspects of mobile ticketing. I think it's really interesting. Um, So we started the process of of going to a more digital environment um, from a ticketing perspective, probably about three years ago, 2018 or so. We really started getting into it, moving away from paper tickets, printing home tickets. We didn't bite off the bullet for season tickets or anything fully, but we started we started that migration, right? So fast forward to COVID, you know, last year, twenty twenty, and we were, we had already kind of had a plan. We were on a trajectory to, to go into a mobile environment to go to mobile tickets, but COVID basically said, "Hey, we're going to push you in the deep end. Like, you got to go." Um, and we went through our whole renewal campaign last year for football. We sold, we were doing everything. And then we were kind of getting to this really weird spot come June, July. We're like, Hey, do we spend like, I mean, for us at NC state for that, it's like a hundred thousand dollars. It's like, do we spend a hundred thousand dollars to start printing? Or do we need to like hold back? We didn't know like we were going to be able to have fans, no fans, all this stuff. Long story short, we ended up with, Hey, you can have 7% capacity at your football games, most random percentage out there. Um, So we have to come up with, you know, we had plenty of plans. We had plenty of contingency plans, but we had to figure out the way, right? Like how do you get the tickets in people's hands knowing that COVID could cancel a game. You might have to switch a game all that stuff. So mobile ticketing just made all the sense in the world. We were already doing it for single games. So we went down that path. So anyways, coming off of that, we said, you know, we're investing in mobile ticketing. Like it's going to be our plan. It's how we're going to proceed forward with season tickets. And there's a lot of benefits from it, right? Like you understand who's in your stadium is probably the most crucial part of it, right? Going back to data, going back to analytics, going back to strategy, let's be efficient, let's be strategic with what we're doing. You know, it gives you the ability to understand who it likes, again, say you have, you know, 30,000 season tickets. Okay, you're going to have roughly seven to 8,000 accounts for that, you know, give or take. Well, who who's two, three, four, five, six, et cetera, on all those accounts? You don't know that with the physical tickets. You might know some of it if they transfer it or sell it or something like that. But with, with the mobile ticketing, it creates that environment where it's so much easier. Yeah, I'm just going to go my phone. Hey, I'm going to text it to you. I'm going you know, to transfer it to you this way. So now we're starting to gain insights. Who else has come to our games? And that's crucial. Um, last year during COVID, again, we had about 4,000 people a game. On average, we had a little over 100 new accounts established every single game last year through mobile ticketing. Okay, and the only people who had access to tickets for the better majority of the season were just our season ticket holders. So from those season ticket holders, then we identified, roughly speaking, another seven to 800 accounts throughout the season that were brand new to our system. We didn't have them in our database. So that was very eye opening for all of us. So again, we're, we're getting better data, we're getting better insights into our, into our stadium, into our fan base. Um, the other part of it, I think, is ultimately the flexibility. Right. It gives you the ultimate flexibility. If COVID taught us. Nothing. Keep your knees bent. You always have to be ready to to change to to do something on the fly. It's much harder to do that with a physical static ticket. So that's a huge advantage of that. The efficiency. And I think the same thing for for donors and fans, it's literally in their pocket. Most people, not everyone, most people have a smartphone. Right. Like that you carry the thing everywhere. So it's sitting in your Apple wallet. It's in your Google pay. So everyone has the ability to manage it on the fly, walking up to a gate, hey, my buddy's running late in traffic, cool, I'm just gonna transfer you a ticket. Now, here you go, I'm out waiting for you. Um, so ultimate flexibility there. So a lot of a lot of benefits, right, in going that way, not without challenges though. So, you know, it's a lot of education, we're going through that now, um, educating, and, and it tends to be the older demographic, right? Not everyone though, I think if there is a silver lining of COVID, it, it forced right, everyone outside of our industry, restaurants, um, airports, you name it, wherever you're doing, you're, you're probably scanning your QR code to get a menu. You're using your phone for your boarding pass now. Um, you know Everything you're doing for the last 12 to 18 months has typically been a paperless environment. So a lot of people have been forced right into this boat and have to figure it out and have been able to figure it out. So as an industry, we're not alone anymore right? There, there was this growing trend, like mobile tickets, mobile tickets. Well, we were kind of on an island by ourselves besides the airlines, but now the whole world around us has become digital and paperless and people want to go that way. So, so for us, that education process is becoming a little bit more efficient, right? Like everyone's got a little higher level of knowing how to use an iPhone better. And what's an Apple wallet? No, it's not in your pocket. Like it's on your phone, right? We, we definitely have that. Like I don't have my ticket in the wallet and like Right, it's on your phone, that wallet, right? Like we've all had those conversations at one point. So so a lot of education goes into it. It's not without its headaches and hiccups and, and donors who just say, I have a flip phone, you know, what do I do? But the world around us is just gravitating and evolving that way. And again, I think the biggest the biggest advantage of it is the data, the insight and the flexibility that it's going to provide all of us. You know, a, a lot of the venues right there. So if you're in, you know, the CFP, ACC championships, the College World Series, you name it, they're all mobile only environments. So it's one of those things the world around us is there so for us you know covid forced us into the deep end but in a good way we've embraced it and it's been an education process but a lot of opportunity again more so for us I look at it I'm really it's the data insight. We want to understand who's coming, who's actually using the ticket instead of making assumptions about it. So Great, thank you so much. You're welcome.
0: Hey, Colin. Uh, thank you again. So I know probably a lot of us are starting new positions or going to new places here in the next couple of weeks. What do you think someone in a new place should do in the first two weeks to 30 days to really set off a good tone when they're in a new environment?
1: Yeah, so I think it goes back to wanting to learn, right, and be a little bit proactive in that. So I would probably say best piece of advice I could give you. So whoever is going to be your hiring manager, reporting manager, you know, whatever unit you're working with, if it's not already scheduled, you know, find some time to, to meet with that person. Once you get past even the first couple of days, right? The first day or two, at least it's, here's this, this is where the fridge is. This is where the pencil sharpener is. Like, right. Like you're getting through all that. Once you get through that, find some time to sit down and, and ask that individual, Hey, who are the key people? Right. Like here are maybe some people I've identified that I should probably sit down and talk with. But who are some key people who are the right people that it would be really beneficial for me to to learn from or to ask some questions or get some insights from either their shop or from their office or from their role of how I can help them in my new role or how this role that I'm coming in can be a better service, good or bad, you know, that's taking place or what's going to work. I would take the proactive approach of trying to just identify. Hey, who are the right people to meet with and, and sit down and talk to? And then ultimately, again, as that process evolves, I think it'll eventually lead to. Okay, you know, I talked to this person, but you know, from talking to them, it might be a good idea to go ahead and meet with this person. So I think putting yourself out there and being proactive of just saying, "Hey, can I get thirty minutes of your time? Um, you know, just want to learn a little bit more about your shop, how my role can help you." Um, and and what things you want to see either done differently or what things are working really well from this position, assuming it's one that was there or it's a new one. Hey, what are you really excited about what I can bring or what this role can bring to the table? I, I, to me, that just shows a proactive way and it puts a face to name and it allows somebody to, again, to educate you a little bit about their shop and what they're looking for or how you can
0: potentially, you know, help them. Awesome. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I do have one more question. So one of the big headlines over the past year um, has been name, image, and likeness. Can you speak on how you have been handling it, uh, both from first hearing about it a few years ago and to it coming into existence recently, how you've been handling that at NC State?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, so this is you know, a hot topic, been per- you know, percolated for a while now. Um, again, I think it's positive. As long as it's done in the right way, right, and student-athletes handle it in the right way, and the right parties the, the right outside entities do it the right way and, and people don't try to take advantage right and muddy the water because unfortunately we all know there's going to be a bad apple out there at one point or another so so yeah so i mean i think we've all kept the pulse on it we felt like it was coming again i'm a proponent of it it's we're allowing them again right to maximize or capitalize on, on their brand right on student athletes brand that's theirs like go for it right like do the right things there so at nc state uh there was a there was a committee that was put together a task force that, that was working on it and has been working on it the biggest thing that we've done here is to, our goal is to educate our student athletes right and it, it goes into kind of that whole thing of just know who you're potentially going into business with and i think that's the thing you, you saw it when this thing dropped you know about a month or so ago now it was a rush right like quick 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 decisions who's gonna be the first to sign this who's gonna grab this one here But that's nice and all, right? That's the flashy, you know, lights, camera, action, ooh, here we go, we signed it, novelty of this. But I think at the key for, in my opinion, one of the keys early on because we're all learning it. Student-athletes are learning it. Us as industry professionals are learning it. You know, you got to understand who is the right individual, right? Who's the right person to really help our student-athletes? Is it more heavy on the compliance side and the legality side? Is it more on the marketing and the revenue side? Is it just what are the right avenues to truly help your student athlete from a department standpoint? Because there's some things we can and can't do. But ultimately, in my opinion, and I've shared this with a couple of our student athletes, for them, it's again, it's educating the process, know, know who you're talking to, understanding what you're getting into. Ultimately, before you ever sign anything, we say it all the time have the parents, lawyer, guardian, somebody, right? Like, don't sign anything without having extra sets of eyes. Look at that. That's just a common life. Lesson for anybody, whether you're doing whatever, like right, like you want a lawyer to look at a contract if you're going to sign a contract. So th- that's the first and foremost. Don't just sign anything to sign your rights away because you never know what's in the fine print. But for me, it's truly what is your brand about? What's your personal brand? Think about it yourself now as a student athlete, an 18 to 22 year old, whatever it is. But think about what your brand is. What do you stand for? What are your values as just a person? And do those values align with that company or that organization? And the world we live in, right, the digital footprint never goes away. Right? the headlines never go away. They're always going to live somewhere. So I think it's really important. Um, and, and this, again, this applies to all of us, I think, with our careers, right, and profession. What are our values? What do we stand for? Who do we want to be aligned with? So I think that's really important for our student athletes as this landscape continues to evolve is what are your values? What's your personal brand? What do you stand for? Or what do you believe in? What are you passionate about? and does xyz business or company or organization do they align with that or um you know is it just a flashy hey they want to give you some money cool but is that brand going to jeopardize your brand, right because again everything sticks so that to me is i think the most important part it's like with any business decision it's got to be a good partnership right the best business deals are two-sided like they're going to benefit both sides and i think that's what it's got to be some of them are fun and flashy awesome but an nil perspective it's understanding what you want to do you know what do you stand for what are your key priorities what are your values and do these do these entities right they want to make money off of you they want to invest in you but right any business is about roi they want to return on their investment they're not just giving out money they wouldn't be in business if they're just doling out money that's a really bad business this year they want to be able to make a return on investment they want that brand equity of the student athlete So what do they stand for? Are they going to potentially get you in trouble down the road, right? Like what's, what's been their track record? What do they stand for? What are they about? So that to me is the ultimate thing. Again, it kind of goes back to just the value. What do you, what do you stand for? What are you aligned with? And will this company, will this offer, will this opportunity, will it help you? Right? Like, does it help move your brand while you help move their, their brand and move their business along to a street? So. But it's, it's, Joey, it's a loaded, it's a loaded question. It's an ever-changing landscape. And what we know now is more than what we knew a month ago. And I'm sure if we had this conversation a year from now, we're going to be like, man, we knew nothing last summer. Like, we were in the dark.
0: Just another topic that we'll keep on (laughs) needing to learn more and more about. It's ever evolving. That'll be a wrap on our second FPCA podcast episode. Thank you again very much for um, taking the time to join us today, Mr. Hargis.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. I appreciate you guys having me. It's always awesome. I I love to chat and and talk shop. And again, thank you for the opportunity. Glad to be here.
0: And thank you to everybody here uh, joining us live and anybody and all of our listeners on FPCA Podcast. Thank you.